It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. For the love of Pete, it's something you might say when your car gets damaged, but that won't get you the help you need for your vehicle. As someone named Jake, what you should be saying is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For help filing your claim 24-7, whether it's on the phone, online, or on the award-winning State Farm mobile app, however you choose. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 340 of Lockdown Raptors for Wednesday, May 30th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockdownRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Lockdown Raptors. We can find links to every single episode. Make sure you're also checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. Uh, Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, if you want to do daily fantasy during the play- during the finals. Locked On NBA, of course, is going to have all angles of the finals covered, too. And uh, starting June 13th, I think we've figured this out, June 13th, we're going to have the Locked On NBA mock draft like we did last year. We'll start on the Monday of that week. And or the Thursday or something. I don't, we might wrap it around a weekend, but it's going to be five days in a row, picks one to six, and then seven to 12, all through the 30 picks in the draft. Uh, so make sure you're staying tuned for that. It was a lot of fun last year. Mike Schmitz was on last year's episode. Not sure if he'll be on this year, but stay tuned and you'll find out. Um, and if you find a show on the network that you like, please subscribe, rate, review. It's the best way to support the show, yada, yada, yada. I've explained that a million times before. If you haven't done it, you're probably not going to do it, but please take the time. It's very helpful. All right, on today's show... Joined by our pal Joe Wolfon. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going all right, man. How are you? I'm uh, all right. the The Raptors' like sadness is definitely worn off. I'm content now. The, like LeBron made the finals, disaster was avoided, um, and like I don't know. I've just kind of made my peace with it. But I was kind of team fine, team it's fine the day after they lost. So maybe that's not a surprise. Um, but and like the Brian Colangelo stuff has certainly perked my mood a little bit because it's outstanding. <laughs> Yeah, um, I feel like that was definitely what we all needed to just sort of shake us out of whatever malaise we were in. Yeah. Um, because uh, <laughs> there was all this, like, uh, Warriors, Cavs fatigue, we're going to do this again, so predictable, and uh, I don't think anyone could have predicted this. No, and just another reminder to Raptors fans of how far the Raptors have come, personnel-wise, <laughs> right. front office-wise. Um uh, maybe it will come out that Masai Ujiri has burner accounts. I don't know. But I, I don't think we're going to be finding uh, random accounts slandering, I don't know, OG Ananobi with, uh, with links and ties to emails and phone numbers of Masai Ujiri or his direct family. Um, shouts to A. Ben Dietrich for the piece on The Ringer. And also... The like this the, the like the sleuth work going on from like Sixers bloggers right now where they're trying to diagnose exactly who it is and they might have diagnosed it as being Brian Colangelo's wife. Whether or not that's something that Brian Colangelo knew was going on makes that all the more interesting. I don't think we've heard the last of this story yet. What was your before things started to maybe get clearer today? What was your favorite 
like theory as to who was behind these burner accounts? Um, I mean, I feel like Hickey was probably the best one, just yeah. because <laughs> uh, it just seemed like plausible enough that that was like the kind of thing that he would do, and he feels like like he's you know borderline mastermind enough to pull something like that off. <laughs> um, and and I just thought that would have brought this whole saga full circle in in a beautifully poetic way. So. Um. I, yeah, I was, I was pretty into that one. I think I heard one or read something where someone was blaming Danny Ainge by like for doing it through the ringer, like ordering the hit via the ringer, and obviously like in cahoots with Bill Simmons. That would have been really fun too, um, and kind of would have summed up a lot of opinions I have about the ringer. But hey, Ben Dietrich did an excellent job. Um, Would those guys have, have preferred Colangelo to stay at the helm of the Sixers, though? Like, that's, if they, if they yeah. want to see the Sixers fail? That's true. I think the theory I saw was Bill Simmons doesn't want LeBron to go to the Sixers. So uh, he was trying to, you know, sow tension within the ranks there to potentially make that a less desirable destination for LeBron to go. Um I, I that would that seems far too elaborate. It makes a lot of sense that it would be his wife, especially since there were like simultaneous tweets during his media availabilities, according to some according to some of these blogs. Um, it's just such a perfect, awesome, beautiful story, though, and I want more of it. Like this, it, it made me feel like the DeAndre kidnapping all over again. It was great. Yeah, it's like the perfect modern NBA story. I yeah. think. <laughs> you know, like, um. But yeah, uh, it's it's crazy stuff. But my favorite part of all of it is is the defending of the shirt collars. Like, yes, by far that's my favorite detail. <laughs> um, because I don't know, for years I just feel like we, it, it's been like a really niche joke, like clowning on his gigantic shirt collars, and I would never have assumed that that was something like that was something he would be sensitive about. But uh, apparently he is, man. He, you know. If you're sensitive about it, just maybe don't wear the collars that high. I don't know. It feels like an easily solvable problem. Um, A not easily solvable problem are the Toronto Raptors, of course. Uh, And, you know, we've talked about some of the players on the team so far in these player reviews we've been doing, and they've been mostly positive so far. I think we've waited to get to some of the negative ones till later. Uh, We did Serge Ibaka, so that was the depths of negativity, I suppose. But um, today's edition is going to be a positive one, I think. And it is Pascal Siakam. And Joe, I can think of no bigger Pascal Siakam mark than than you to have on the show to talk about Pascal Siakam's season. Um, So let's dive into just sort of, we'll, we'll kind of go the same format we've done for these before in the last couple weeks. Thing about Pascal Siakam's season that most impressed or sort of made you feel good inside? Yeah, just the uh, the vast uh, leaps and bounds improvement in his ball handling ability, uh, his passing ability, um, and, and the overall refinement of like this very raw skill that was on display last year into um, assembling uh, a modern NBA forward. Mm-hmm. Um, things that you know I never could have predicted for him this season I don't think um and him looking just like a completely different player this year uh compared to last um I I just think uh so much was there that I didn't see and I think there were ways that I could have seen him improving this year and he improved in ways that I that I didn't really foresee so uh, it was pretty cool to watch the NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, 
helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, I think the way that sort of he rem- he sort of lingered in the minds of a lot of Raptors fans was a guy who started 38 games kind of by necessity last year because Jared Sullinger, the answer at power forward, got hurt. Um, and then sort of like kind of just dissipated away from the team and was in the G League essentially during the playoff run. And yeah, I think most people coming into the season, like if I was ranking the bench guys or the young guys as to like how important I thought they were going to be on the team, Satsiakam would have been on the lower end. Like he would have been behind like Pirtle, for example, and even like DeLon for sure. And, you know, he comes out in, like, game four or five of the season and puts 20 up in a quarter on the on the Warriors, and it's like, oh, shit, like, this is a thing now? Um, what do you remember from that game? I remember I was driving home from somewhere and was in the ra- – like, listening on the radio in the car as Siakam was going off, and I was like, is Paul Jones just, like, got a name wrong here? Like, is he, is he totally, like, on point with this call? Uh, what was your sort of recollection of that game? Because I think that was sort of the game that introduced the new Siakam to Raptors fans. Uh, yeah, it definitely was. Um, and I, I think that he got DNP the game before. Like, mm-hmm. at the start of the season, he was not really in the rotation. He played, like, garbage minutes, I think, the first couple of games. Um, got DNP'd and then came out in that Warriors game, and Valanciunas was injured. So I think Ibaka started at center that game. Mm-hmm. And... Again, yeah, he he was not really a guy who I was expecting coming into the year to be like a rotation piece. I think we were kind of thinking, you know, Serge was going to be the starting power forward, uh, and maybe CJ was going to get some run as a small ball four in closing lineups. Maybe OG would get some time at the four, but like it, it was tough to see where Siakam really factored in. And then suddenly that game happened, and that third quarter happened. And the thing that definitely stuck out to me, he hit two threes in pretty quick succession. Mm-hmm. Um, in between this like uh, transition run out where, where he caught a lob and threw down a pretty nasty alley of dunk off, I think, a feed from Lowry. Um, and all that just happened in the span of like two minutes. And um, that, the threes were the thing where I was like, whoa, he can do that? Um, <laughs> and, and it kind of turned out that he couldn't. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but, but just seeing that he was like willing to shoot those threes and like looked a little bit fluid doing it um and that that was something that he at least teased that could be kind of part of his expanding offensive arsenal um was a bit of a shock to me um like seeing him run the floor and and bring that energy wasn't really a surprise but um the 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 way that he seemed to be harnessing that uh kinetic energy into something functional was uh pretty eye-opening yeah i mean you mentioned the threes and i think Oddly enough, the thing that got me most excited this season, despite Pascal shooting like 22% from deep, was every time he sort of geared up to take a three because it was just like, oh, he's working on it and he has the green light and yes, maybe that's problematic at points and like he's going to shoot them out of some quarters at times, but... I was just like totally here for Pascal taking as many threes as he possibly could. He had a game where he went over 5 from deep against the Knicks, like, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like, keep shooting him, man. Get better because. As sort of Zach Lowe alluded to on his podcast where he was talking about this early in the season, like, if he can add a three-point shot, the sort of ceiling kind of gets blown off for him because of all the other stuff we've talked about, the improved ball handling skills, which, you know, uh, you know, the second most exciting thing for me, maybe the most exciting thing for me from him this season was him just, like, 
dumping off passes to Yaka Pirtle kind of in new and in, ingenious ways every every game and just finding new ways to get assists that way. I mean, this is a guy who had four six assist games this year, averaging like just over twenty minutes a game. Like he, like he he's got real playmaking chops, and the games where he was putting together these four or five assist nights, like. There was just, you could not help but just sort of be blown away by the potential he was flashing. Where do you think, like, the, the ball handling figures into the Raptors going forward? Because, like, he was sort of a bit member of that second unit, even, you know, alongside DeLon and Fred. Like, he wasn't asked to handle the ball all that much. Is that something, like, going towards next season that you'd like to see him maybe get more of sort of a, a burden of doing it? And it might, you know, there might be growing pains there because he's not totally refined and the turnovers are still kind of there at times. But, you know, he's also got just, like, really good vision for a guy of his size. And I feel like if there's some sort of kernel of potential there, I feel like you should try to mine that for all it's worth. Yeah, I mean... I don't know how much further you really want to take it. Um, I think there are ways you could ramp up his workload uh, and try and involve him even more in the offense. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, like he, he is probably going to be playing with two ball handlers um, at least while he's on the floor, right? Like whether that's, that's Kyle and DeMar or whether it's Fred and DeLon. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like there are going to be, uh, pretty rare instances where he's out there and is like going to be relied upon to be like a primary playmaker. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that he's able to do it, um, it like opens so many more things up. And I feel like, you know, the kind of warriors model right now and things that they've managed to unlock um, just by virtue of having five playmakers on the floor at one time uh, are really instructive because you know, it's not like you have to force feed him the ball and like ask him to go and make a play. It's just mm-hmm. the fact that if the ball happens to find him, then he's going to have the confidence and the capability to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think where that where that uh, developing three point shot is really going to come into play is um, once he nails that down, because I'm just kind of expecting him to do it. Um, it it's going to open up so much more for him as far as being able to make plays off the catch and like attack closeouts. Uh, everything's just going to be a little bit easier for him, I think. Um, and right now, it, it, it's difficult because defenses can ignore him. Um, and when he's catching the ball and his defender is sagging like 15 feet off of him, um, <clears throat> you know, it can be tough to uh, to figure out what to do. But, uh, you know, to his immense credit, he actually, I thought, became really good at like using that space to his advantage um, and getting like a bit of a runway and just driving right into the chest of some of these defenders that are playing off of him and either finishing over him, like busting out that spin move, mm-hmm. um, or, um, you know, just managing to like, uh, drive aggressively enough that he, he can draw a help defender and make one of those off passes. Um, the, the intuition that he showed, I think, uh, even, even when put in those difficult situations where, um, it, it didn't seem like there were many options, uh, he would always manage to find one. Yeah, man, those little push shots, those were uh, a nice little sort of counter he had to situations where, where teams would lay off of him. I think, though, we kind of saw it get exposed a little bit in, in sort of high-leverage games. I think we saw in that Celtics game late in the season in Boston where they lost. He was in, in crunch time, and it didn't go very well. And even in the playoffs, like I think 
I, I believe if I, like, I don't have the number in front of me, but because I, I just, I'm so sick of pulling up the numbers on NBA.com, and the, the numbers are rattling around in my head somewhere. Um, but like, I believe he had the worst crunch time net rating of anyone on the Raptors, and like that sort of goes in line with the lack of shooting and the sort of the ability of a defense to sort of take that into account and maybe direct their attention elsewhere. And you know, maybe that's less exposed in sort of the middle parts of a game or on a Wednesday against Orlando but when you get to the sort of crunch time aspects of things like that becomes more of a liability so I do think that is sort of a limiting thing on ter- in terms of his, his like total upside is the three-point shooting um, and like I said 22% this season on 132 attempts it's not great and like it's as smooth as the jumper can feel at times like it's just it's not falling so far what you said that you're just kind of assuming he's going to do it what makes you so confident that it's going to happen for him? And, you know, if it doesn't happen, how do you see the Raptors sort of working around that? Um, I, I just, from everything I've gathered, from everything that I've read and heard about him, um, as far as how tirelessly he works, mm-hmm. um, it just seems like, you know, he, he's already come so far in such a short amount of time Um that I really like. I'm not saying like for sure that it's going to happen. I was I was kind of being overconfident for effect, but <laughs> um, I just get the sense that um, he has this kind of untapped potential that he's very determined to fulfill, um, and, and and it just gives me a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to figure out how to do it at least passably. Mm-hmm. And if he can't, I think we kind of saw it this year, right? And the answer a lot of the time was to put the ball in his hands more often mm-hmm. um, because he was more valuable as a guy who could dribble and make plays um, than as a guy who was, you know, chilling in the corner, not drawing any defensive attention. So I think that tends to be what happens when, when a guy isn't an off-ball threat is uh, you try to weaponize them on the ball as much as you possibly can. And, you know, beyond that, it's, it's just... Um, you know, using him as a weapon in transition, uh, and a lot of those you know defensive rebounds that turn into grab and go transition opportunities, I think, uh, are always going to be an important part of his game. And uh, yeah, just continuing, I think, to empower him to be a playmaker because mm-hmm. he has filled that role, I think, really, really well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. If you had your druthers, how would you want to see the Raptors deploy him next season in terms of like his minutes and sort of the role he has on the team? Because like as excellent as he was as the sort of dude who could run a fast break off a rebound and just like scream up and down the court and be a monster defensively, like in the second unit, I feel like there's some more utility there for him. And obviously there's like a log jam in the front court and that is going to sort of dictate things because I don't see Siakam playing over either Serge or Jonas. But like in a perfect world, is a move made to maybe sort of beef up Siakam's role for you? Because like, I think I said this near the end of the season, like I would not be shocked if by the end of next year, we're looking at Pascal Siakam as like the third best player on the Raptors, maybe even more than that. Like, just or maybe not best as in terms of like talent or whatever, but just in terms of impact on the team. Like I feel like 
he really could have just like a, a substantial impact in terms of just like the defense always being good when he's on the court and the offense just always having a little extra jump and maybe being a bit more prone to running and stuff like that. Like I think his impact could be pretty enormous if he was to be playing, you know, in his third season with some more development under his belt and just with some more responsibility. Um, so like in a perfect world, where do you see Siakam's role sort of playing out next season? I kind of expect him to be the Raptors' best power forward next season, if mm-hmm. he isn't that already. Um, so I would sort of hope that his role would line up with that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he, you know, whether or not he's actually starting or not, I would just hope that he is getting basically a starter's minutes, you know, playing like 28 to 30 minutes a game mm-hmm. um, and playing in, in high leverage situations. And... Um, you know, I think just getting more comfortable and confident, like whether whether or not the team is the same and Kyle and Demar are here next year. Like if, if the team looks the way that it did this year, like I, I would really like to see Pascal get some more run and like gain some more confidence and comfortable uh, feeling playing alongside those primary guys, you know, playing mm-hmm. alongside Demar and Kyle. Like I feel like him and Kyle could really develop um, a really nice chemistry um, because uh, like I, I think Kyle's, even though he's not super fast, he's really good at running the break. Um, and um, I think, you know, he, he really thrives when he has other playmakers around him as well because he moves so well off the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would just I would like to see him spend some more time with, uh, with the starters and um, be basically used as a starting power forward because I think that's, you know, in terms of his ability, that's basically where he's at. Yeah, I wonder about his fit with Jonas. Um, obviously, in his rookie season, that didn't work out particularly well, but we didn't really see it at all this season, so I, I wonder how that would work if Jonas is still around. But I do think, like again, I, whether he starts or doesn't, that's kind of trivial. Like I think as, as long as he's playing the most important minutes in closing games, I'll be happy because like I really do think him and OG next to each other, and like th- those are the two biggest reasons, I think, to be excited about this youthful sort of core of the team going forward is Pascal and OG. And, like, I just think those two together defensively can be just such a terrifying pair. And they didn't really play that much together this season either because they were such, you know, they're so strict with their hockey changes, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. We didn't get to see that pairing all that much. And, like, three and four or even a four-five combo against smaller looks, like, I think that could be really exciting and sort of what we've seen in these playoffs is kind of what you want, right? Like, dudes who can defend a bunch of different positions. I mean, we saw... Both of those guys guard John Wall in the playoffs, for example. They were pretty much the two best options on John Wall in the postseason. Um, those were the two best options for LeBron, as you know, poorly as things went there. Um, like I think those guys are the kind of interchangeable defenders and have the size maybe to hang as a small ball four or five. That might be sort of tricky. It depends on the, how they you know develop as rebounders. And Pascal got better at that this season, but. Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts on just like sort of that pairing as something you want to have in tandem going forward? Uh, yeah, I think those are all really good points. And uh, I was going to say, like we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we were, when we were um, <laughs> praising the Celtics um, <laughs> with, uh, you know, with vomit in the back of our mouths, but um, talking about just like how valuable it is to have multi-positional defenders who can, who can switch um, and who are kind of interchangeable. And the Raptors, like, frankly, don't have enough of those guys. I mm. think that's, you know, what the these playoffs kind of bore out. And those two are definitely guys you can point to who could conceivably be, be here for a really long time uh, and who bring those skills to the table. Um, 
so yeah, having having two guys who can capably guard uh, John Wall or potentially like you know LeBron James or I don't know Al Horford, yeah, um, like all across the spectrum, like there are guys who um, who they can check at every single position, basically, and uh, I think that that gives you a lot of confidence about potentially building a defense around them in the future. The offense kind of another story um a lot will come down to whether uh og can continue to be like a, you know an effective three-point shooter mm. um like if, if those guys can be on the floor together and not destroy spacing then i think you're in pretty good shape i feel like if those two shared the floor together they'd just be in a constant duel to see who could produce the cheekiest dump off pass off a drive <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that too for sure and like yeah. Both really good cutters, I think. Yeah. Um, like, you know, the way that OG cuts along the baseline, and I feel like there could be some nice two-man chemistry there as far as just um, making those backdoor passes. Like, mm. uh, yeah, I, I for sure feel like there is some untapped potential uh, as far as what those guys could bring in, in a lineup together. Yeah, I mentioned off the top how the Brian Colangelo thing has made me feel better about stuff. I think just, like, thinking about OG and Pascal has also made me feel better about stuff. Because it's pretty cool that they're both on the Raptors. Um, we could probably wrap this though. Is there any other parting shots about Siakam that you'd like to throw in? And we didn't maybe get to everything, but we're gonna have so much time to talk about all these guys all summer. I don't want to just sort of use all the bullets tonight. But is there anything uh, that you have before I go watch the finale of the Americans? Um, <laughs> no, I mean just uh, just to appreciate him and like what an incredible uh, story he has. Yeah. Um, and you know how much he's been through and, and, and all the work he's put in to get to where he is. It's it's pretty incredible. Um and there were there were a couple really, really good features written about him this season. So for anyone who hasn't read them, uh Jackie McMullen wrote a great, great uh profile um about his journey to the NBA, um and Arden Swelling at Sportsnet also. Mm-hmm. Um with just like some really, really good background and context. So if you wanna, you know, learn more about who he is as a man, uh and the the kind of winding road he's taken from uh, Cameroon to the NBA. Um, it's really extraordinary stuff. So you're telling me Jackie McMullen and Arden Zwelling wrote profiles on people that were good? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a hot take. Dunner. It's great. That's too hot yeah. for this podcast. Uh, I think that's all we got. Pascal Siakam's really good. He's exciting. We'll talk more about sort of the larger picture stuff with him going forward throughout the summer because uh, apparently I'm trying to fill daily over the course of the summer. I apologize. I've been a little iffy with the pods this week. Don't worry. I have two coming tomorrow. Um, so stay tuned for that, and that'll be cool. A couple of good guests, and we're going to talk about Fred VanVleet and Jonas Valanciunas, so stay tuned for those. And, uh, yeah, till then, Joe, what do you got to plug right now? Um, not too much right now. Um, I've, uh, I've got a couple things out. I, I wrote like a, uh, final sort of primer today, just like talking about what the Cavs can conceivably do to give themselves a fraction of a chance in the series. Mm. Um, you can read all my stuff at the score. Um, so there's that, uh, I did a French, op- a French open preview before that, which now we're like a couple rounds in, but fortunately all the players I wrote about are still alive in the tournament. So it's still kind of relevant. Um, and, uh, as always listen to pound the rock. Uh, the Scores NBA podcast featuring yours truly and uh, the great William Liu and Joseph Cacharo, uh, the Italian stallion. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's about it for now. Right on. Uh, make sure you're checking out all that stuff out. Pound the Rock is very good. You guys uh, 
are far smarter than I am, and I appreciate hearing smart people talk about basketball. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review Locked on Raptors on iTunes. When you go to do Pound the Rock, make sure you do Locked on Raptors as well. It's very helpful. It's for its algorithms and uh, rankings and stuff. Uh, that's pretty much all I know about that. Either way, thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you on Thursday and Friday, or maybe all Thursday night. I don't know. There's going to be a double shot of episodes of Locked on Raptors coming up soon, so stay tuned for those, and we will talk to you then. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.